is more than the policeman on the corner, more than the courthouse where our laws are enforced, more than the jail where lawbreakers are punished. In your whole community, there are customs and moral codes which guide your actions. What social controls affect you? As a non-lawyer, you cannot pretend to be a lawyer for somebody else. You gotta have, go to law school and you gotta pass the bar if you wanna pretend to be a lawyer, except if you're in prison. They say you're, you're innocent, you're proving guilty, but it's actually the opposite. I gotta prove that I'm not guilty. I'm Nancy Mullane, and this is Life of the Law. In California, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of people practicing criminal law though they've never passed a bar exam. They don't wear suits, they don't have secretaries, and they actually can't bill for their time. They're jailhouse lawyers, inmates who pursue the equivalent of a lawyer's education and who work as lawyers from within prison walls. That's usually almost jailhouse lawyers cut their teeth, I think, is they, they dig into their own case and they get an interest in it and then they become well-versed in the law by usually reading volumes of cases. That's Charles Carbone. He's a prisoner rights attorney in San Francisco and one of the few lawyers on the outside who will represent people behind bars pro bono or for free after they've been convicted. It is a professional and personal interest of mine. I take it very seriously in terms of the quality representation that I provide. Carbone explains that in California, once you've been tried, convicted, and sent to prison, at that point, you lose your right to an attorney who's provided by and paid for by the state. If you're on death row, the state will still pay for an attorney to represent you for an appeal. But if you're not and you want to challenge your sentence, you have to come up with the money yourself to hire a private attorney. There are very few lawyers or firms that provide pro bono parole appeal representation. Very, very, very few. You can count them on one hand. Those number, numbers of cases that are brought every year by a pro bono attorney or firm. So Carbone says, short of turning to people like him, Prisoners have to teach themselves the law, and many do. Ruben Ruiz Martinez is serving time at Pelican Bay, a supermax prison in the far north of California. I have to get through 11 locked doors and sally ports just to interview him. We are in the security housing unit. Is this another sally port? Yes. Hello. There you go. How are you? Ruiz's cell is about six by nine feet. There's a thick cement pad for a bed, and it looks like it's full of papers and books, at least from where I can see it. My name is Nancy Mullane. I'm a reporter. Um, I, I'm not used to seeing somebody. I'm trying to see your eyes. I'm standing on the other side of a rust-colored metal door filled with small perforated holes. Martinez is a middle-aged man with military-style cropped hair deep-set brown eyes and a full, gentle mouth. I didn't know, I didn't know any law. I didn't, I didn't know even the law that I was charged with and convicted of. I was 17. I had just turned 17. I, went, I, was, a, I was a kid, and from that moment on... Martinez is serving a life sentence without the possibility of parole. It was a fight in a liquor store. We, we didn't see no clerks around, so we were going to try to run out with the beer, which you probably might have heard is known as a beer run. In our attempt to do so, we were confronted by the clerks of the store. They um, physically confronted us. We didn't have no weapons. One of them had a baseball bat, 
and uh, hit us with the baseball bat. And in that fight, we took the bat, and one of them subsequently got hit in the head with the bat and uh, later died. Cause of death was, you know, a blow to the head. Martinez was convicted of felony murder. That's when you're out with someone and you commit a felony together. If anyone dies, then you're responsible for that murder, even if you didn't actually commit it. I had no concept of what, you know, felony murder was, you know. Self-defense is not a defense against the felony murder rule when it is under just normal circumstances, there was a, a much greater likelihood that I would have been uh, convicted of uh, voluntary manslaughter and maybe would have done four, six years. Martinez understands that now, but says he didn't 21 years ago when he was charged, convicted, and sent to prison. I was represented by a, a couple of different attorneys and I learned the arguments they were making were arguments that already had they've been made in other instances and failed. So I started to, you know, follow up on all of the law that, you know, they cited in my lawsuits, just researching it, I guess, in a backwards fashion. Martinez decided to file his own appeal. I started to uh, look for ways in which I could reintroduce, you know, some claims of my own. So, Were you successful? No, no. He partly blames bad access to the legal materials he needed at Pelican Bay. I actually rarely, if ever, go to the law library. Most of the, the legal uh, research I do is through the paging system. There's forms in which you could request particular case law. You submit a request to go to the law library. It usually takes between a month to two months, and that just, just doesn't suffice to do the necessary research on whatever you're doing. There are people that are very well versed in the law, inmates who are, are fairly well studied in the law, pretty good at research and writing and, and legal drafting and so forth. And then there are other inmates that are absolutely atrocious at it. And the courts don't receive it well. Again, prisoner rights attorney Charles Carbone. Their cases get denied. And the problem is, is that then they can't backtrack because you really only get one bite at these apples. You don't get three or four. So if you show up on your own and you file a piece of garbage, you oftentimes cannot revisit that later. Carbone says that's the problem for Ruben Martinez and thousands of other inmates trying to appeal their convictions. If the judge says the appeal doesn't have merit, that's it. The inmates can't file another appeal based on the same challenge. Prison law libraries are supposed to help inmates get that one bite at the legal apple. And the, most of the law libraries inside prison are, are filled with uh, old law books that have been torn up and, and uh, are very uh, cumbersome and difficult to use. They have very little resources, and sometimes that affects the quality of the work. Sometimes, miraculously, it doesn't. Under California law, all inmates in state prisons are supposed to get at least four hours a week of access to a prison law library. Obviously, that's not been working out so well for Ruben Martinez, who says he has to wait two to three months to get inside the law library at Pelican Bay. San Quentin State Prison, just outside San Francisco, is supposed to have the best law library in the whole state. One Tuesday morning, San Quentin's public information officer, Sergeant Gabe Walters, agrees to show off the library. As we get close to the front door, 
we see more than a dozen inmates standing outside, holding worn file folders stuffed with papers and booklets. They don't open for us right now. Uh, they put a new schedule up right now. So, uh... New schedule? Yeah. So, so let's see, what is, what's going on here? So this is new schedules of last night. Yeah. That's, yeah last so. night? Since last week. The press officer is a little embarrassed. So, okay. Oh, that's horrible. I didn't really change the schedule. Yeah, they just did it last week. The law library is open a few days later. Can I get a, a copy of this front and back and one copy of this? It may be new, but it's cramped. Prisoners huddle at small round tables taking notes and poring over legal documents. It's unfortunate that most of us who um, get in trouble with the law don't know much about the law until after we've, you know, gotten to a situation that we uh, need help to get out of. This is Laquan Hayes. Um, I've been coming to the law library for the last 10 years that I've been incarcerated. They discovered that uh, actually my sentence was an error. A judge recently found in Hayes' favor and overturned his case on appeal. Now, because of a writ that he wrote, he's going home. We, you know, began to read our own, own cases and we come to the library and we ask others for advice and, 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 and uh, we kind of rely on one another. And then, then we begin to get an understanding of the law. And um, I think it's, it's very important to, 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 to know some law. You know, I'm more than willing to, to help anybody that, that needs help. But before Hayes gets out, he's trying to help as many of his fellow inmates as possible. He's a jailhouse lawyer. His status is actually enshrined in law, says prisoner rights attorney Charles Carbone. As a non-lawyer, you cannot pretend to be a lawyer for somebody else if you're a free citizen. And that is because that's called the unauthorized practice of law. You got to go to law school and you got to pass the bar if you want to pretend to be a lawyer, except if you're in prison. That the odd exception in prison is that you can act, quote unquote, as somebody else's lawyer. That's why jailhouse lawyers exist. So it's not just representing yourself. You could actually represent somebody else as a jailhouse lawyer, and that's perfectly legal as long as you're doing it in prison. And with one caveat, you got to get permission from the prison in order to do that, and you can't charge any money for it. The most successful jailhouse lawyers get themselves and fellow inmates freed. But then what? Betsy! Maloney. Wow, this is nice. Hector Oropesa sits at the kitchen table in his new apartment just south of San Francisco. As a jailhouse lawyer, I was able to help a lot of people tell their story. Thirty years ago, he was sent to prison for murder, but he wrote his own appeal and got himself out. Whatever the truth is, you got the DA's truth, and you got the, the defense truth, and you got the truth, what comes in the middle of it. It wasn't easy to articulate that truth. Oropesa says when he first went to prison, it was all about sitting in his cell and doing time. Then one day, an attorney slipped him a legal self-help book. He devoured it. I'm not just a guy sitting in a box for all these years. I'm a guy in a box educating himself. Oropesa says the book changed his life, not just because it helped with his own case. He learned how to represent other inmates. By doing jailhouse lawyer work, you give someone the opportunity to tell their truth, what they believe happened, and, and hopefully win, you know, and go home. He got 12 of his fellow inmates out on parole. 
But now that he's on the outside, he legally can't represent anyone, and the guys who are still locked up have no one else. I left like 100 cases pending somewhere. You know, you come out here, they don't give you a car. They give you $200, and that's gone the first day. He can't practice the law without being admitted to the State Bar Association, and that's unlikely with his felony conviction. I need to get paid. I need to pay my bills, but they don't understand. I don't think they don't see the experience what comes with what I was taking so many cases on, and that should count for something. That experience should count for something. Eventually, Oropesa says he'd like to go to college and get an education that would prepare him for a law degree, but that's expensive. For now, he's getting part-time work wherever he can. It'd be nice to get some formal training, though, and I, I am working on that right now. Once I get that, I know, I know I can compete with these guys. I know that. By these guys, Oropesa means lawyers, just lawyers, no jailhouse attached. For Life of the Law, I'm Nancy Mullane. Life of the Law is produced by Shannon Heffernan and Nancy Mullane, with editing by Julia Barton and production support from Caitlin Prest. Financial support comes from the Open Society Foundation, with special thanks to Thomas Hilbink. Hi, I'm Amy Choi. And I'm Rebecca Lair, and we are the Mashup Americans. The Mashup Americans. Uh, think of us as your guide to the hyphen America world we live in. Are you first generation Korean American married to a Colombian Mexican American and making beige babies? Us too. Or do you speak three languages and eat Salvadoran pupusas at Shabbat? Is Spanglish your best language? That's me. <laughs> uh, Spanglish is definitely your best language. Yeah, it was kind of a problem in graduate school. <laughs> eh, don't worry about it. We're, we're done with that. So we've got a new show here on the awesome Infinite Guest Network. You can go search for Mashup Americans in your favorite podcast app and check it out. We've got a great story about the mashup life of Donald Trump. Oh, and I just went to Margaret Cho's house to Netflix and chill. Kind of. <laughs> oh, my God. Vamos, let's do this. As we like to say, get to know yourself, America.